Okay, welcome to episode 72 of the United Pubcast, another very special edition done in self-isolation, of course. I'm, as usual, joined by Larry. Now, it is a very early morning Sydney time, so Larry, I'm just checking. First of all, you're awake and had your breakfast. Yeah, mate, I am awake. Uh, No breakfast, a little bit of a drool, one eye open, but I'm ready to go. Okay, that's good. And the reason we are a little bit early today, Sydney time, is because we have a very special guest. Now, we have had a few guests on the podcast before and a few very special ones, most notably, obviously, ex-Premier League winner and Manchester United goalkeeper, Mark Bosnich. However, I think there might be a little bit more excitement for this one because this is a very unique guest, but also very special. And his voice does not need any introduction because obviously that is in the title the voice of old trafford mr alan keegan how are you mate welcome to the theater of dreams boys it's great to be here and great to be uh broadcasting across sydney good morning good evening hello and how are you that's like music to my ears that voice alan it is without the football without hearing that at old trafford over the tv at three o'clock in the morning um that is like music to my ears well, it's great to be here and it's great to be joining you guys. You're doing a, a fantastic job and uh, I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts and uh, they're really entertaining. So the bar's been set high and hopefully I can uh, keep up with it. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, an absolute pleasure. No pressure. So Larry, yeah, no pressure and no mistakes for this podcast, please. Um, we'll do our best. But um, yeah, Alan, I just want to start, just before we get into it, we're just going to talk about sort of your career, your time at United, favourite memories, etc. A lot of the Man United Supporters Club members have sort of thrown in a few questions. That's pretty much how the podcast will flow. But I just want to go back and cast your mind back. You might remember this, you might have no recollection, because I know you obviously, throughout your time, you do a lot of dinners and a lot of do's, etc. But the... Mm -hmm. David Moyes' first season and the 2013-14 pre-season tour in Sydney. Um, Man United, New South Wales have just celebrated their 25th um, anniversary. But back then in 2013 it was, obviously United visited um, Sydney for pre-season under David Moyes. And we had a Legends Night at the Star City Casino. And to this day, pretty much every single member who was there, obviously the Sydney guys were there, but Perth were there, Melbourne, Brisbane, etc., to a man, all sit there and say that was the best night of the supporters' club's history. We had yourself hosting at the casino, and it was a sort of a Q and A style um, evening with Brian Robson, Dennis Irwin, Francis Burns, Paddy Crerand, and Andy Cole and Dwight York. And I just want to first of all remember: Do you remember anything from that trip um, to Sydney in 2013, and anything about that night? Because we still sit here, and it was unbelievable. Well, definitely. I mean, it's an interesting place to start. And when I look back on that particular tour, uh, 2013, if, if I can just give you a bit of background, I first went on a on a summer tour with Man United in the year on, in the summer of 2010. And what it was, there was the new shirt launch, and uh, Aon were part of the sponsorship package, obviously on the shirt and everything else. And they were doing a big launch in Chicago which was their, obviously, home city, the Windy City. So they put a proposal to Man United that could I go out and join the tour for three days. Now, this was in 2010, where they were launching the shirt. We were doing a big, big sort of massive 
um, promotion on it, obviously. And um, we were tying in the connection with Aeon, as I say. So the first sort of sample that I got of at all was in 2010, and it was really good. But it was a flying visit. It was it was in and out because I was just there to sort of host the event of the shirt loan. So then 2011, um, Aeon put a proposal to United, could I go out on the summer tour for a couple of weeks and host a load of their events. So that was great and that was really exciting. And obviously, um, 2012, that was sort of my last year with um, working with Sir Alex Ferguson on the tours, you see, because obviously one of the benefits and perks of the job, and I'm absolutely privileged when I look back at this, was that I do a lot of events with Sir Alex. So that was 2012, and that was the the, the um, Asia tour. Uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, it was the tour of South Africa. So then 2013, obviously, you know, things have changed. David Moyes has come in, and we're touring Australia and Japan. So we started the tour off in Australia, in Sydney, and it was extended a little bit because there was going to be a sort of bonding session with, with David Moyes and with the team and with some of the staff, including myself. So, you know, it was really difficult, as I'm sure you'll appreciate, boys, because we had to stay at the Hyatt on the Sydney Harbour, and it was so hard, you yeah, know. these are the slumming it there. Yeah, yeah, we're Sounds really hard. slumming it, you know. Um, and, 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 and I'm looking out every morning, you know, at, on the bay and, you know, it was just an unbelievable experience. So, obviously, it was David May's uh, first year of taking over and we were in Australia, we extended it. And everything was going really well. You know, David was fitting in, there was open team training. Australia was a beautiful place because it, for on a different sort of number of different levels, for me, it was always easier to do the tours. I ended up actually doing seven in total. It was always easier to do them in the for obvious reasons in the English speaking countries because mm. we didn't need to get translators. You know, I, I can't speak Japanese, or, you know, I can't speak whatever the, the country was we were visiting, whether it was China or, or whatever. So Australia was absolutely fantastic. And I've got to say, and I sincerely mean this, and I hope, you know, it sounds sincere and honest, that night that we did in Australia, in Sydney, with I think it was three of the main supporters branches. I need you know stand to be corrected. Yeah. Even here now today, it was one of the best supporters events I've ever hosted, and I honestly mean that. Seven legends on the stage, a room absolutely jam packed of fanatical Manchester United fans. The audience was superb. The players were in really good form with um, the stories. I think there was one name you missed there. I think it was Paddy Crerand. He was also on the bill that night. And it was just one story after another, and it was incredible. So, yeah, I mean, to get to that point of 2013 in, in my sort of career or journey with Man United, today it still stands out as one of the best tours for, for all the reasons that I've just given, the country, the people, the supporters group. It was Moise's first summer with United, you know, it was a whole new experience and a brand new chapter for Manchester United. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. You remember that so vividly because, um, yeah, just as I mentioned there, in terms of every single person who was there still say that was the greatest night of the Supporters Club and we've just hit our 25th, 25th official season. So, um, 
Fantastic. And just before we get started, Josh, another member of the Supporters Club, just sent me a message and a photo he took with you back at the FA Cup final um, at Wembley the other year, um, the Jesse Lingard FA Cup final. Um, he just well, said, yeah. he just said, make sure you thank him for a photo and the time he took to have a chat with us because he missed out on a ticket in the ballot and he had to go into the second ballot and spend a little bit more money than he would have liked and he ended up sitting pretty close to you. So um, he just made um, sure to get that straight in there. Oh, well, that's brilliant. Well, listen, uh, it's always great to um, catch up with the fans. And as you say, you know, I mean, it's always quite um, humbling if anybody wants a photo of me, because at the end of the day, I, I'm just very fortunate. I, I, you know, I'm a guy speaking in a microphone in, in a stadium with 75,000 people. And I'm very, very, very honoured and privileged when people want a photograph of me, because at the end of the day, I'm, 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 I'm nobody as such per se. You know, I'm just a, a guy who's very fortunate to have the best job in the world. So a big hello and uh, thanks for remembering the moment as well. What a final. Um, fantastic Jesse Lingard, one matter. Uh, winning 2-1 against Crystal Palace. That's the final he's talking about. Yeah. Well, what we'll do, we'll just get into, and I'll just add sort of members' questions throughout as we go. But we'll start pretty yeah. much from the start and sort of before your career sort of started. Um, just growing up, you obviously supported United when you were growing up as a kid. And just sort of a little bit about your career. Did you sort of have, did you play football and have sort of those dreams every kid did of sort of progressing and becoming a professional footballer? Yeah, well, well, my, my childhood was a, a very happy childhood. I, I grew up in a, a in a strong Irish family. My mum and dad had came over from Ireland with four kids, and uh, they came to Manchester. And when they were here, you know, new home, uh, new city, new life. They had a, a, a brand new baby, and they called him Alan. Um, so I I grew up in a very sort of big Irish community because my mum and dad had a shop in I in Manchester. Um, and my dad works in the building game. So it was a very, very big community area um, for the Irish. And obviously, um, most people from Ireland at that time supported Manchester United, mainly, I suppose, because of Georgie Best. Mm. He was the big influence, you know, the Irish idol. They all wanted someone to follow. He played for United. Um, and, and to be fair, I think it has to be remembered as well that Harry Gregg had a big influence because of 58... Um, and for what he did in his Irish connection. So there was always that sort of legacy um, where United had sort of tended to always have Irish players. And I think that's always been the case throughout the years when you, you look at the names of who's played for United. But, you know, the Harry Greg, Greg connection, the Georgie best certainly influenced my father. And as a result, he influenced me. So, you know, I grew up supporting United. I had two brothers, to be fair, who... They liked football, but they weren't fanatical. They enjoyed football and they enjoyed United, but they weren't they weren't the type of lads who, who went every home game. So that would be my story as getting introduced to United, very much where, you know, my father influenced that. And then I suppose I really started following them closely and going to Old Trafford when they got relegated, as it happens, um, into Division 2. And Tommy Doherty was building the team and you had players like, Gordon McQueen, uh, well, Gordon McQueen, but Gordon Hill, Stevie Koppel, they were a dynamic side and they went straight back up that year. So that connection and that love for United started at a very young age. Yeah, well, just there when you say in terms of relegation, I always look back, well, obviously I wasn't alive back then, but looking back and people talk about how tough things are at the moment now with United, I just think, God, well, being 
fifth or sixth in the English Premier League probably isn't too bad compared to what um, a lot of fans obviously have witnessed and gone through. So, um, yeah, interesting you say that has been part of the real sort of supporting sort of journey, um, seeing United being relegated. But um, just on that, one of the questions was your favourite player growing up. I assume you sort of touch on a little bit there in regards to Georgie Best. Yeah, well, it's quite funny, and, and some people might they might find this quite sad or strange, but um, we're very much into Labrador dogs, and my wife and I, like, you know, we've had quite a number of Labradors over the years, and we've always got them from a rescue. And I suppose the first, the first, um, the black lab that I had, um, he's actually on my Facebook page, but the first black lab that I had, we called him Ollie, uh, after Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. It, it was a sort of compromise with my wife about our favourite players, you know, I had my say, she had hers, and ultimately she won that one. So we had a black lab uh, quite a few years ago called Ollie, Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. And the current black lab that we've got, um, he's actually called Georgie Best. So um, I've got a soft spot for Georgie, for Georgie Best. And I did I did see him play, but I suppose I was, I was slightly too young to appreciate Georgie Best at his peak. So when you ask me about who my all-time favourite player. I think I've got favourite players over different periods, but I think if you were to ask me who who stands out and who was the player that I looked for whenever they were reading out the team on the radio, whatever it might have been, it'd have to be Captain Marvel, Brian Robson. Hmm. For me, the ultimate, you know, longest-serving captain of Manchester United. What a player. And I'm very privileged now, Tom, because um, I'm very friendly with... with with Robbo, you know, I do a lot of events with him, you know, I host a lot of stuff that he does. And as part of that, and, and you know, the thrill of doing the job that I do, you know, I, I can, I've become very friendly with Brian Robson and it, you know, he's everything, you know, sometimes they say, don't they don't, don't meet your hero. You'd be disappointed. But mm. Brian Robson lived up, to, lived up to every expectation as a lot of the fans would have seen at the, um, the supporters, event that you mentioned there in 2013 so yeah. Robo would, would would be definitely up there and then moving it a little bit forward and uh, forgive me if I talk too much by the way Tom feel no, free no, to jump in you. but um, my, moving on from Robo it, it would have to be Roy Keane I think the Irish connection again you know um, I've done a lot of events with Roy both when he was at the club and since he's left the club and he's just 100% dead straight doesn't mix his words. He's brilliant on an on a on a on an event, you know, with a Q and A or an audience. With, I mean, we've, you see lots of things on social media, but Roy Roy Keane for me was the ultimate the ultimate captain. And we got spoiled, didn't we? Because we had Robbo, and then in many ways, I know we had Steve Bruce and Cantona as captains, but I think Roy really ca- carried the, met, the you know the, the bat on uh, from Brian Robson. I'm not quite sure whether I was going to might be disconnected. Well, just um, the next thing we had going on to your career, you're obviously very famous for the you know, sort of the voice of Old Trafford, etc. However, it obviously started at Manchester City. So, just wondering sort of how that came about in terms of being a United fan and sort of just how a job at Manchester City becoming their stadium announcer sort of comes about. Yeah, it's an interesting journey with with, um, with Man City because. Um, it was a great time to be part of the club because there's two ways of looking at it. Obviously, when you're in the business like we are or you, you're involved in media or broadcasting or or that type of forum, you know, um, I was offered the opportunity um, to work at Man City 
for for a, 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 a sub arm that was called the, the Manchester City Junior Blues. So that was my inroad. Um, I'd been doing some local radio here in Manchester. I'd, I'd presented a radio show, funnily enough, that was dedicated um, and feature-led for the Irish community. So you had a Mancunian presenting a radio show aimed at the Irish community in Manchester. So that was sort of my inroads where they got to know of me and a couple of recommendations were made. And I started to host these Junior Blue events that they had. And then the club asked me would I do the warm-up on a match day for the actual announcer. So if the announcer was going to, st- if it was a three o'clock kickoff, if the announcer was going to start at say half past two, I'd I'd go on and do the warm up sort of from half one or quarter to two to quarter past two, um, ready for the guy who was the main announcer at the time. And I absolutely loved it, Tom. You know, you can imagine um, it was a fantastic job. Yeah, it wasn't my club per se, but what a wonderful time. And I have to say, I always tried to be professional. You know, I was working for Man City and they weren't the success that they are now. And I suppose it was a little bit easier um, because they, you know, in in fact, the time I was with them, they got relegated down to whatever division it was at the time, Division 3. They got to the third layer of English football. So it wasn't as difficult as it would have been, say, now uh, to do the job. But I loved it, Tom. And I was, you know, it was a great, you know, I don't mean this disrespectful because I had great times at Man City. It, it was a great training ground for yeah. me, which I didn't know would happen, to become the announcer and the voice of Old Trafford. So it was all meant to be. And it was a great journey. I was the announcer for two years because, sorry, what actually happened was they were, they were replacing the announcer. They wanted him to go upstairs into the corporate side. And because I was doing the warm-ups and, say, the odd game that he missed, I've got the typical Manchester accent and they wanted me to continue. So, you know, the, the the football rivalry went out of the window for an hour and a half. I worked for Man City and, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a period of my life that was very, very good. And, and I always look back at it and we're all on a journey, aren't we? If we look back at the stages in our life and the chapters in our life, this was a chapter that had to evolve and develop for it to move into the next chapter. And, and for Alan Keegan... It was one of the best things I ever did because it led to me getting the job at Old Trafford. No, fascinating stuff. Um, we'll just quickly check on Larry's audio. Um, looks like he might be having one or two problems or he might be asleep. I'm not sure. Are you there, Larry? Yeah, it might not be coming through, but nevertheless, um, everyone is listening to hear uh, Mr. Alan Keegan's voice. So continue on, Alan. And you were just mentioning there... Um, obviously sort of the, the journey of your sort of career and obviously leading into United. So you just showed how you got the job at United. But, um, uh, oh, sorry, at Manchester yeah, so City, sorry. But how did it come about coming to sort of the dream club? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, um, you, you've got to look at the sort of road here. There was two journeys being taken. So I'm working at Man City. I'm doing the um, stadium announcer job. And I'd actually got invited by a friend of mine to, to go to... First and foremost, I have two season tickets at Manchester United. I'm very fortunate that my wife loves Manchester United. And we, we had we had two season tickets before we ever had children. We've had them, you know, 35 years, our season tickets. Uh, and basically, um, we always went to every home game. But I had a friend who asked me to go to um, a corporate day with him where you have a meal and everything else. And in the room, they had people who were acting as hosts. And... Within a month, I'd gone to two of these events on a match day. You'd sort of go three hours before the kickoff and have a meal and they'd have somebody hosting it and they'd have a legend. They're very popular now. 
and they had two guys doing the presentation or the hosting and I, and I said to my my friend I said I'd love to do that um, not that I could do it any better than the guys who were doing it but I'd love to do it and I, do you know what I did Tom I actually wrote to the commercial director of Manchester United selling my services and I said I've got an idea that would enhance the the match day experience within the room there was like 300 people in the room then um, 30 tables of 10 anyway i um, i didn't hear anything for about a week or two and i rang manchester united i rang his pa because you've always got to get through the secretary haven't you it's no yeah. good trying to get through down you've got to win the pa over and i won her over had a conversation with her and i said um you know i wrote to danny i've got an idea blah 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 i work at man city but i am you know um, looking to see if you've got any spaces available for the corporate on a match day. Anyway, I'll cut a long story short here because I'll put everybody to sleep. But I ended up getting to sit down in front of him the following week. She made an appointment for me and I had 30 minutes to sell myself and he liked what he saw. I had an idea to do a quiz on the day at, on each table based at United. And if you had a table of 10, you might have invited some guests if you were, if you were playing whoever on the day, you know, whether it was, you know, Arsenal or Liverpool or whoever. You, you do a quiz of 20 questions. And I said I'd compile all this and host it in the room. And anyway, Danny McGregor loved the idea. And the rest is history because I ended up working the corporate hospitality for two years, for two seasons. This was when I meant to see him, it was around April. And he said, Look, I'll give you a few games at the start of next season. Anyway, he called me in to do a spare one in May. And he liked me and he gave me the whole of the next season. So every home game, I was hosting a room at Old Trafford welcoming Manchester United fans um, and enjoying the hospitality side of it, meeting different people. And as a result of that, you need a little bit of luck in life. And I was in the right place at the right time. I'd love to tell you it was a big wondering story, but hmm. they were going to replace um, um, the, the the announcer at Old Trafford, who's the, um, who'd done it for quite a number of years. They were looking just to replace him for whatever reasons. And Danny McGregor said, well, look, the guy who works for me on a match day in the corporate, he's the announcer at Man City, but he's a Manchester United fan. Why don't you bring him in? So I had to meet with the, the secretary and the assistant secretary. I had two interviews. They went through all the structure. And to cut a very long story short, that's how I got the job at Old Trafford. They then said to me, well, look, you know, we're very interested in offering you the job. Would you be interested? Would you leave Man City to do the job at Old Trafford? And if you would, we'd love you to do it. You know, sorted out the um, different elements of, of what I was required to do. And in August 2000, I um, did my very first Premier League game against Newcastle. But actually, during the week, uh, Dennis Irwin had, had his testimonial um, against Man City. So that was my actually first official game. But my Premier League debut was, uh, I'll never forget, it was against Newcastle United at Old Trafford. And I announced the first two goals as Andy Cole and Ronnie Johnson. So I've tried to keep that very tight because it's a long-winded story. So hopefully people are still listening. Well, no, it's a good place to sort of continue because the next question was written down was sort of memories of your first game and you just remembered the goals you had to say. Was there anything else that sort of you maybe found, I don't know, whether it was, it was a nervous feeling going into it or there was a pressure or it was just pure enjoyment, yeah. etc. Yeah, there was everything, all those emotions because... Um, Keith had done it before me, you know, he'd done it for 10 years and, you know, I was coming over from City, not everybody knew I was a United fan. I mean, you're going back 20 years now, it's not like today, you know, and um, it was it was an interesting situation, but Manchester United were brilliant because they had someone 
who met me when I arrived. I, I arrive at the stadium normally three hours before, but all the, the work and the emails and everything else and the paperwork, you know, everything's emailed during the week. And then on the day of the game, if I need a briefing, we'll have a briefing. Um, and it, yeah, it was nerve wracking, but obviously it was the club I love. It was the theater of dreams. It was the home of the greatest football club in the world. It was Manchester United. And here I was living the dream, a working class lad of Irish parents in the heart of the club that I love with an active role, announcing the players that the season before I was sat in the Stratford end with my wife watching mm. playing the you know, so it was just unbelievable, Tom. Unbelievable. Can you guys hear me now? Yep, he is awake, Larry. I am awake. Sorry, guys, it's needed a bit of a power nap. Alan, um, I think you're about to inspire me to take a career path change, but I want to ask you, what's your day-to-day like at Old Trafford? So when you're walking into the car park, what does a day look like for Alan Keegan? Well, it, 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 it certainly got a lot busier as the years have gone on because of the commercial side of Manchester United. You know, gone are the days where I just turn up and it's very much, you know, just the football side of it because there's so much involvement with the sponsors now and I have so much engagement with them and basically um, it's a busy schedule on a match day. It's run like, you know, like a military operation in a positive way. It's everything's time and schedule. You know, the sponsors all get an opportunity to have a photograph taken at the side of the pitch before the gates are officially opened. They'll have a legend with them, Gary Pallister, Brian Robson, Dennis Irwin, some of the ambassadors, they'll meet them. You know, but for me personally, honestly, I walk, when I drive up to Old Trafford and I park up and on it, I have a smile that's the width and the length of the pitch. It's just an unbelievable job. And, you know, I treasure it. I never take it for granted. You know, every season could be my last season and I enjoy every moment. So, you know, how lucky am I? How privileged am I? How honoured am I to, you know, be you know, at the club that I love, announcing goals, having some of the greatest memories, sharing them with fans, but being part of it. When Wayne Rooney scores the overhead kick against Man City and I'm the guy who lets the clouds settle down and then I announce it, you know, Old Trafford, Manchester United's goal, goal by number 10, Wayne Rooney, you know, and it's it's incredible. So, yeah, walking on the forecourt, you meet fans and, you know, I said it before, fans will recognise you. They want the photograph taken with you because, you know, I suppose I'm part of that history, if you like. I've been there 20 years. I've got fantastic memories. And a lot of people, a lot of kids have grown up only knowing me as the voice of Old Trafford and that successful period that, that we've gone through for many, many years. So well, that, that's the thing. I'm I don't want to... I wouldn't uh, sort of say this in a disrespectful way to sort of compare you to a lounge or a couch, but I'd very much describe you as part of the furniture at United. Just, <laughs> it, it's something that is just there. Whether you, you can't see you, but you can hear it every time you're there, you just know you're present. Or when the camera sort of films the managers walking into the dugout, you're always there with clipboard and microphone, and it's just a, an, ever, an ever-present constant. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of it, because it's very much... It- there's, there's what you might call continuity, the familiarity. You know, I am like, you know, uh, a nice pair of worn gloves or shoes or whatever way you want to put it. And I, I, I appreciate the, the analogy you've given there. Yeah, I mean, listen, I love it. I really do. I've, I've got the best job in the world. You know, it's 
I've been there 20 years. It's absolutely flown. When I first got the job, you know, I thought if I get a year or two, I'll be really happy. You get three years, then you think, oh, well, maybe just if I get five years, you know, if I get to till 2005 and then you want 10 years and then before you know it, next August, it'll be 20 years and some of the memories over those 20 years, it's been incredible. The well, we'll just we'll get into some of the or your sort of most memorable moments, etc., in a second. But just one of the questions sent through from one of the members, Casey, you said, "Do you have any routine to warm up your voice before a game or anything, or sort of you go through any procedure like that?" Yeah, I think I'm very lucky because back in the day when I worked on radio, I was always very conscious of my voice because it is, you know, it's very northern, it's very Manchester. I'm not quite on the edge like Liam Gallagher, I like there, you know, sort of that Mancunian end of it. But I'm all, but I'm, I, I like to think I'm right in the middle with my accent. And that's very important because, you know, it's Manchester United, the club that were formed in Manchester, etc. So my voice, I've always looked after it. I'm very, I think I'm fortunate, and maybe Larry wouldn't agree with me here, but I don't actually drink alcohol. I don't, I'm oh. teetotal. So, oh. uh, <laughs> so I've always tried to, guide and look after my voice i don't smoke so you know there's those sort of elements of it where you know my voice is my living and obviously mm. i don't know if we're going to talk about the game fifa later on but it's very important that i've looked after my voice and it fortunately you know you can get you, you start looking older um visually but for me i'm very fortunate because your your voice it's very much like a singer you know if rod stewart or whoever sings a song that he made 20 years ago, 30, it still sounds as good today when he's in concert. I like to think I still sound as good as I did 20 years ago. So I just, Casey, I just look after myself, my body. Um, we could all do with losing a few pounds, couldn't we? But no, I don't drink and I don't smoke. They're the two big things that I, I became very conscious, became very aware of and conscious of when I started. To You're an inspiration, Alan, because I don't think I could give up alcohol, but... Um... To maintain a beautiful voice like yours, it might be worth the sacrifice. Now, this is probably a more tricky question, but obviously you've had the luxury of being at Old Trafford to witness many football games. Do you have a favourite memory um, at Old Trafford? Yeah, um, I get asked this question quite a lot, and, and sometimes there's a different angle to the answer because you know sometimes you'll say, which players give you the favourite moment at Old Trafford or what's been the favourite moment, etc.? I think if I can just give you a bit of build-up, in 1999, obviously I wasn't the announcer, but I'd been to a lot of the away games in Europe with United, um, Bayern Munich, etc., and different games, Juventus. And I ended up missing the 99 final for all sorts of different reasons in my personal life, but I couldn't get to the final. And I was absolutely heartbroken. And I vowed, that if Manchester United ever got to another final, wherever it was in the world, I would attend it and I would go to it. So 2000, I get the job as the announcer. And maybe not a lot of people might know this who are listening, but whenever a team get to a Champions League final, I didn't know this at the time, but they always invite the two announcers from each club. So when Manchester United... Um, got to the final in Russia in 2008. I was there as the announcer for Man United. But if we rewind to the game against Barcelona, where the second game was played at Old Trafford, mm. um, Paul Scholes, 15 minutes, scored a rasping goal 
and any Man United fan might remember it. It was an absolute mm. Paul Scholes classic. Yep. So I went, I went hysterical both as a fan and as the announcer, which you know I try and be professional and try and respond in a correct and professional manner. But I, I couldn't contain myself, and I announced Paul Scholes, you know, number eighteen, Paul Scholes, blah blah blah. And I have to say, guys, it was the longest seventy-five minutes of my life because Messi. Apart yeah. from scoring that night, he had the game of his life. He was dinking, he was ducking, he was twisting. They did everything but score. And I've spoken to Paul about this. In fact, I was in Atlanta with Paul um, just just before the lockdown um, a couple of weeks ago uh, in Atlanta with the Manchester United Supporters Club over there. We, we were doing an event um, with uh, for a guy called Steve Baxter who'd organised it on behalf of the Supporters Club with Barry. Uh, and Scolzi and David May went over and I said to Scolzi, Scolzi, it was the longest 15 minutes of my life. He went, the longest 15 of yours? He said, you should have played in it. Mm. He said it was the longest 15 of mine because he'd missed 99, hadn't he? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, I still remember that in terms of you saying the nerves. I just remember because obviously a Champions League kickoff is sort of this time of the morning, Sydney time, it's usually about a six or seven o'clock kickoff. And I remember, yeah, after that goal went in, but especially that last 10 minutes going into injury time, uh, like feeling yeah. like a, a physical sickness watching that match. Like it was just horrendous viewing. And obviously it obviously turns out in a good story. But um, yeah, that match is um, definitely one that we all look back on. Now, just going into the next yeah. two questions, which you might have just touched on, or again, your story might sort of change just based on your mood. But um, one question there was sent in from Dennis, best goal you've seen live, and John has said the favourite game. So obviously those are two moments of great goal in a great game, but are there any others that sort yeah. of stand out? Yeah, generally speaking, or, or at Old Trafford, you mean with Man United? Yeah, that you've seen live, sort of you've been pitch side for. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, I think I think when um, when we look at the overhead kick by Rooney, I sort of alluded to it earlier, but... That was such an emotional day. And obviously we were under the caution, this, that and the other. And for Rooney to pull that out of the hat, you know, it was only him who could have done that at that moment at the Theatre of Dreams. And the, his celebration, you know, you could see the relief, the way he put his arms up and Nanny runs up to him. I think that has to stand out as as one of my, my favourite moments because... Um, as the announcer, you know, you, you, you're caught up in the emotion. It's the derby, it's Manchester City, we want to beat them. And then for Rooney to pull something out like that and then actually, you know, score such an important goal for us, um, that, that stands out both as a fan and as the announcer at Old Trafford because that was incredible. Um, I've had some wonderful, wonderful memories and obviously, you know, I've, I've announced and scored goals by, by all of them, you know, Beckham, Ruben Nisselroy, Dimitar Berbatov, Carlos Tevez, all the great forwards, you know, Marcus Rashford, Rooney. Um, I think when I look at certain elements in certain games, um, and I have to go back to situations where you look at timings and when, when, we, when we've bought different players, um, I think overall the pleasure that uh, Robin Van Persie gave us in the season that we won the title in Sir Alex's last season at United, that was... That was definitely a final piece of a jigsaw. And the season before, we'd lost it, we'd lost it in the final moments, the Aguero moment. Um, I was at Sunderland that day and it was just, it was horrendous. And mm. 
to, to see Robin van Persie come in and make the impact that he did. Um, and I have to say, and I hope this is okay, it wasn't the goal at Old Trafford that he scored. It was the goal at, at uh, the Etihad. And um, yeah. well, he scored at the free kick, again, nearly in, in the last minute or the last few moments. I was at the game. I was there with my son uh, in the corner with all the United fans. And honestly... It was like watching, you know, when you see a movie or a film, you see slow motion. He lined up the free kick, and we were on, we were on the on line with him, where it, the sort of curve on it, if you remember it, and the celebrations that day, and oh, and it was just incredible. So I know it wasn't at Old Trafford, and I didn't announce it, but Robin Van Persie, the impact he made at Old Trafford, and some of the goals that he scored that I announced, but to see him score that day at the Etihad, it was just just lived to be an amazing moment for me personally i, I hope that answer's okay because it's just a moment that i'll treasure yeah well we've done a few podcasts in the past obviously with no football just sort of looking back on memories and we've done a podcast a few weeks ago looking back at sort of previous manchester derbies and we, yeah, we spent plenty of time talking about that robin van Persie free kick and that um three two win but um, just another question sent in from John again. Now, you obviously do all your pre-match stuff at Old Trafford just when the players warming up, sort of saying welcome to their first game. Larry um, has travelled over from Sydney, etc. Just wondering your sort of weirdest request in terms of a shout-out before the game. Has there ever been anything you think, geez, what do they want that read out for? Or, geez, I'm not read, going to read that out. Or is there anything that sort of stumped you a little bit? Yeah, there's been a few. Um, there's been... <laughs> There's been a, a, a few announcements where you've got different requests and different mentions for people. I mean, just very quickly, one one funny one. Um, well, I'll take that back. <laughs> Generally speaking, it's funny, but I'll let I'll let whoever's listening to this decide. Um, I got a request off of um, somebody indirectly. It was it was somebody indirectly who I who I a friend of a friend had asked me to do a request, and it was. Basically, a heart. This was very early on, very early on when I was doing the announcement. And basically, let, let's call this wasn't his name and it's not their names, but let's say the guy was called John who wanted me to do the request. So, John had got in touch and said, Um, my, my girlfriend's going to be at the game. Would you do an announcement over the tannoy, over the PA, asking her, Will she marry me? <laughs> so, so well, you won't believe where this is going. Now, I just want to add as well that John John had a few years on the clock. He wasn't like <laughs> a young guy or anything. You know, he was in his middle of 50s, etc. So, you know, everything was sent through. John, and again, these aren't the proper names, but John had sent the request in and wanted me to do it on his behalf. And then he was going to have uh, the ring there and all the rest of it in the stand. We weren't bringing them down pitch side. He just wanted me to do it in the stadium. So half time comes... And I said, right, you know, I've done all my requests. Welcome to Larry from Sydney and all the rest of it. And I go into, and now we've got a very special request, Old Trafford. Um, please acknowledge we've got a very, very special moment uh, for two people who are here. John is here with us in whatever stand. Uh, and he is with his girlfriend, Mary. And John has asked me to ask Mary, will she marry John? Right, anyway, all Old Trafford starts clapping and, there's a nice response, and I'm just saying, and hopefully Mary has said yes. So we leave it at that. Everything's okay. The weekend goes, and on Monday morning, I get a call from the club. And the club say, uh, Alan, 
can you just talk us through um, half time on on Saturday? How did it go? And I, I'm not thought anything, yeah. you know, different. About the, and I said, oh, I, I said it, it went really well. You know, everything was fine. I'm thinking, make a mistake? Did I say something? And I'm thinking, no. I said, I think it all went fine. You know, everything went good. The sponsorship reads, all the rest of it. He said, did you do a wedding proposal? <laughs> Oh no! And I said, yeah. I said I did a request for uh, John such and such. He uh, he sent it into the club, and he, he wanted me to ask with Mary marry him. He said, well, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a problem with it. I said, all right, what's that? He said, well, I've had John's wife on the phone. <laughs> he is a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> he is a divorce, and he's not very happy that we're doing proposals at Old Trafford in front of seventy five thousand people. But he's not even divorced. Uh, so let's just say we've never done a marriage proposal at Old Champion that day, apart from one where we brought a couple onto the pitch and it was all legit and everything else. So, you know, I know it's not exactly the, the, the sort of answer that you were expecting, but they're the sort of things that happen that you can never never legislate for and you can't you can't plan for that. But yeah, his wife had rang the club and said she wasn't happy that I her think husband that's was making than I expected. Yeah, no, that's a belt. Um, well done, John. <laughs> yeah, happily, happily married ever after. Um, you got the next question there, Larry. I think you've got it. Yeah, uh, Alan. So this might be a maybe they've come up to you, but um, please feel free to elaborate. What's the hardest name you've had to pronounce, um, whether it be on a team sheet or otherwise? Well, funny, funnily enough. Um... You know, I don't know if you remember the fella, um, and his name's actually slipped me, slipped my mind. But we we played a friendly, um, and maybe you can get it up there while I'm talking. Um, we did, I think it was Roy Keane's testimonial, and uh, it was against Celtic. So I hadn't sort of come across this player before, and obviously with him not playing in the Premier League, I'd not done an awful amount of research or looking at the away team per se, and. Um, Anyway, it, the, the, there was a player that someone might remind us in the future about this, but there was a player um, who played for um, for Celtic and it was like three names in one. Uh, and I really apologise. I'll have to remember this name. But the other name, when I was doing FIFA, and because he didn't play for, um, play for United at the time, it was really difficult to get your, your sort of pronunciations around Ibrahimovic. Because obviously the slants and the tones and the difference, it's easy now because he played for United and I said it that many times. Slatan uh, Ibrahimovic, you know, it was one of those. But if you don't know it and you look at it, you don't know how to say that name. Um, the most difficult names can be uh, sometimes the Russian names yeah. because they've got lots of like hyphens and they've got like, you know, it can be difficult to get the pronunciation with it. And also the Greek names. They're very difficult. A lot of the, the Spanish and German names, they might have a slant or a hyphen, but nine times out of ten, once you know it's, you know, Javier or whoever, you've got a grip of it. But, yeah, uh, Ibrahimovic was a difficult one, particularly when I was doing FIFA because um, I wasn't too familiar with pronouncing his name every week, you know. And I'm really sorry, I apologise. It's not professional of me. I can't remember the guy from Celtic, but somebody will. It was... Honestly, it went right across the border. I was reading it. The, the fans were laughing because by the time it had started, mm -hmm. I got to the beginning of his name, 
that had gone off the board by the time I'd got to the end of his name. Yeah. You know, it was one of those. So. Well, you just mentioned there one of the questions we had written down in terms of FIFA, the PlayStation and Xbox game. Just wondering, how on, first, how did it come about? And also, how, how does it happen in terms of they take in stadium recordings? Are you going into a studio? And how long does that procedure take? Yeah, it's an unbelievable project. An absolutely incredible experience for me. Um, and again, cu- cutting it very short on here, but um, EA Sports contacted me um, through the content producer. And I got a random email asking me, was I interested? They wanted to do a quick audition just to test my voice and stuff like this. But there was no there was no headlines on the email. There was no address at the bottom, no logos, just a random email. And I thought, this is a bit strange. So what I did is I Googled the guy just to see. Anyway, his name came up and his title with EA Sports. And they were based, as you know, or if you don't, they're based in Canada. So I replied to the email. I said, yeah, I'm really interested. I'd, lo- I'd love to be involved. This was for this was for EA Sports for the FIFA game that was going to come out in 2017. Um, but we're talking the end of 2016. So all the correspondence is going on and different communication. And obviously... You know, you've got to talk through the logistics and one thing and another. Um, and the one thing they said to me was quite interesting because the idea was that you go into a recording studio. So they asked me, could I go to London? Well, for anybody who knows the geography, London for me is probably about three and a half, four hours away. And I did say to the guys, we got friendly and obviously, you know, familiar over the few weeks that we were communicating and talking and doing Skype talks and all the rest of it. And I say, look, we do have recording studios in the north of England, you know. It's not just in London. Anyway, um, I put them in touch with a few of the studios that I use here for my voiceover. And um, they sent me the, the, the sort of script, for want of a better word. Um, and it took me four days to record it in a studio uh, because I had to do every, every Premier League team, the whole squad, twice. Because they wanted it like, you know, number one, David De Gea. And then they wanted it, number one, yeah. De Gea. You know, so they wanted sort of different levels. I had to, to do, you know, all the Premier League teams. I'm, I'm the Premier League announcer. That, that's the sort of gig I got on there. Yeah. Four days of recording. I did some of the MLS. I did some of the Champions League. Well, I did all the Champions League teams. Uh, there was a few tough names in there, and I can tell you. Um, <laughs> I did all the referees' names. I did all the names of the stadiums. All I had to do about 50 attendances. It was an incredible project. It was the nearest thing to it. They treat it like making a movie. Yeah. The budget and everything. Um, and even in the three years I've been doing it, um, what? Oh, that was it. They also asked me to do every championship team because we're recording it in January, the first week in January. Well, as you probably know, it doesn't come out till the end of September. Um, and they don't know which three teams are going to get promoted. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So I had to do all the champion championship teams to allow to cover me for the three teams that were going to get promoted. And they also have it that they can edit it. So, like, say, for an example, Romelu Lukaku, when he came to us from uh, Everton, he obviously wore um, number 10 at Everton. And when he came to United, um, he wore... It took over um, Slatan shirts. We wore number nine, but they had all the numbers edited. I had to go through like one to 50, you know, number one, yeah. number two, 
you know, it was all that with a space to allow for the editing. Hopefully Larry won't have too much editing on this uh, podcast, but you know, that was the structure of it. And it took four days. It was absolutely draining, but a wonderful experience. Yeah. Alan, I want to ask you um, in your role um, at Old Trafford, and I don't want to get you into trouble here. So if you can't answer, don't answer, but have you ever had a member of, co- of the coaching staff come up to you? And because I imagine the team sheet for the opposition comes to you ahead of time. Any requests to say, you know, Alan, do, have you been given the team sheet? Any tips you can give us? Yeah, well, that, that's an interesting question, Larry, because you may know this, but just to, to give anybody who's listening, they might not know, but the official team only comes out, it's under curfew. It only will come out and announce to the press and the media one hour before so whatever you see whoever's you know the guessing who's got off the team bus and staying at the hotel and oh you know blah blah blah's not got off so he won't be playing yeah you can do all that but you don't know the team till one hour before so i always get the team one hour before and the idea is now obviously with social media united were always keen on me announcing it in the stadium asa people you know by the time i get it on a match day now and go into the dugout. It's already out there on social media. But I'll tell you what, um, I'll tell you what some of the backroom staff over the years have liked. If the opposition, because I stand in the middle of the two dugouts, you know, for anybody who doesn't know, I'm, I'm stood pitch side. Um, I always get the substitutions given to me off the referee or whatever, because they have to sign a card. So, you know, we're playing Arsenal and they're replacing, you know, X, Y and Z. It's on a card. So I get to see the card because I've got to let the uh, scoreboard know because they've got to put it mm. on the scoreboard who's, who's the substitutions happening. And over the years, the backroom staff, the coaching staff will ask me what change are they making. Jeez, and yeah. that's like, yeah, that would be the time where, you know, you'd always get asked like, you know, especially in a tense game, right? Because obviously it's all, you know, is it zonal marking? You know, is it? man-to-man marking blah 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 so that would be i'd often be asked that question larry you know what who what's the who they're taking off and then they'll have a conversation so they'll you know they'll say right and you know united in the backroom staff and they'll they'll make the tactical change of who they have or if a player's coming off you know he will have been as you know a player's responsibility so the one that's coming on is that still his responsibility or someone else you know if they're bringing on a big six foot five guy you know well does that mean Harry Maguire is going to look after him or, you know, it's all that sort of thing. So that that's about as near, not so much the team announcement because they know that already, you know, that's all there at one minute to three. Each changing room knows who's playing in what position and what the lineup is. But for me personally, yeah, I'd often get asked that, what, what's the substitution of who's coming oh, off? Well, just before Larry sort of finishes off the podcast with just sort of some quick fire questions at the end, I just want to go back to, I don't know if I'd call this like if I've got a sort of favourite Alan Keegan moment or anything, but just something that always springs to mind and something I watch back on YouTube sort of once every six months is obviously Cristiano Ronaldo's return in um, for Real Madrid in that last season of Sir Alex. And I just want your opinion, your thinking, whether it was your decision or if you can remember it, in terms of what I remember is you read the United team first and Real Madrid second. And then when you're going through the Real Madrid team, you were going through the numbers that obviously skipped Cristiano Ronaldo, and I think you went through all the numbers up to 19, 20. I think Di Maria might have been the last number, 22 or 23. And then there was a big pause, and then you said, yeah. welcome back, the magnificent Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm just wondering, first of all, do you remember that? 
and then sort of was that your decision what was your thinking behind that etc well again I'm, I'm conscious of your time on the podcast but that's a great question and a great story and i will keep it tight and i'm sorry if i've talked too much no no but, keep going please yeah that, that was totally sir alex ferguson's oh. but what was, what was incredible and and again i'll tell the story very quickly we were playing a game about three weeks before at Old Trafford, and it was a miserable Wednesday night. I think we were playing Aston Villa. It was drizzling in Manchester. It wasn't the greatest game. I think it was nil-nil at half-time. The teams came out for the second half, and I think Nanny scored a goal. So it relaxed the, the stadium a little bit, and everything was okay. And Sir Alex was stood pit side. And all of a sudden, he turns round, and he, he beckons someone from the dugout. So I sort of look round, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he beckons, but he's beckoning, he's looking at, he's calling me over to the technical area where they stand, you know, next to the pitch. He's calling, he's beckoning me over. So I sort of look around and think, I thought he was looking at the bench. Hmm. So I go over and in those 10 seconds, I'm thinking, what have I said or what have I done? Anyway, I knew it was okay. He put his arm around me on, me on his shoulder. Now, this is this is the mind of Sir Alex Ferguson, the greatest manager ever. He puts his arm around me and he says, Alan, he said, uh, I want to have a chat with you about uh Real Madrid game. Now, this is while the Villa game's going on. And I said, yeah, absolutely, boss, no problem, whenever it's convenient. So this was the Wednesday night. He said, right, he said, well, remind me, I need to have a chat with you about it. I said, right, okay. And that was it. So I went back to the dugout where I stand. And then the following the following Friday night, I'm doing an event with him. I'm doing a Q&A, an audience with Sir Alex for the supporters clubs, funnily enough. So before he goes on stage, he calls, he's at the side and he calls me over and he says, right, he said, I want to have that chat with you. He said, when Real Madrid come, he said, talk me through what happens. Because he said, I'm never in that early part of the stadium. I said, well... He said, when you're doing the lineups and all that, I said, yeah, well, the thing is, boss, we always do the away team first. And I tend to do it in a lower voice. And then we do the United second and to add to the momentum. He said, right, I've been thinking about this. He said, I want you to change it around. He said, I want you to do United first. And then I want you to do Real Madrid second, and I want you to do Cristiano Ronaldo last of the 11, because we don't do the subs at that point. We just do the, the starting yeah. 11. Well, obviously, you know, there's a system and a structure in the club and with UEFA and everything else, and we had to get it all, you know, all the official sort of approval. Like, you know, the, I put it then to the, the club who, who were my bosses and said, look, Sir Alex wants this, blah, blah, blah. Can we make it happen we had to go to UEFA just to make sure that they were happy which order we did the teams, which they, they didn't mind that because some clubs do it the other way around anyway. And uh, on the night, what a response. Yeah. What a response. But the funny thing is, and a lot of people forget this, Giggsy played his 1,000th game as well yeah, yeah. that night. And we did the lineup, And then, as you say, the response and the emotion for Ronaldo. And I, he didn't celebrate, did he, when he scored? No. Yeah, so, no, an it's a moment. I urge yeah. anyone to go onto YouTube and just YouTube that video, Ronaldo return, Ronaldo announcement at Old Trafford. And as you say, the emotion and the feeling at Old Trafford, you just, it's unbelievable. And a credit to you and obviously Sir Alex Ferguson's idea. Um, that's a really interesting yeah. story. 
yeah, it was a great, great moment and a fantastic moment to that I'll I'll treasure forever because it was just one of those top three moments of my my stadium announcements at Old Trafford. So yeah, it was a great one to bring up, Tom. It's funny. Um, we we did a podcast just last week, and I mentioned that Sir Alex. You know, when people talk about director of football or what United currently need, but we're saying when Sir Alex was there, he did everything. Little did we know, he also had his. We said he had his finger in every pie, but. He's also in control of what gets announced at Old Trafford. That's how that's how <laughs> top Sir Alex Ferguson is and was. Um, Alan, a few quick fire round questions for you. So, yeah. who is your favourite United player of all time? I know you've touched on this a little bit at the start of the podcast, but just to see in case we've missed anyone. I suppose if you were to, in my time, I mean, he, he left just before I became the announcer, I suppose, but... Um, I suppose if you to look at my all-time favourite player, and and if we, if I always answer this question by saying, if I could buy him today and put him in the team, would be Eric Cantona. No, I guess a fantastic player. Um, yeah. Who is your favourite player in the current United squad? I'm very lucky, Larry, because I, I tend to. I'm not a friend of the players. I'm not a mate of the players. But on a professional level, I do have a good relationship with a lot of them. And, you know, particularly over the years, you get to know the captain because if there's anything you need to do, you have to go through the cap. Well, obviously you go through the club, but then the captain can have the final say. So over the years, you know, I've got to know Wayne very well. You know, Nemanja Vidic was brilliant. Rio, you know, even National Young was a, was, a, was a great guy to communicate with. Um, at the moment, um, I do... I have to say, I like Harry Maguire. I've worked with him a few times, and I think he's just what United need. He represents the club in a in a professional, friendly manner. And I think at the moment, he, you know, obviously you could look at the impact Bruno Fernandez has made and all the rest of it. But if we're talking on a on a human level of being the leader of Manchester United and the responsibility that that brings with it, for me at this moment in time, because of that leadership, it's Harry Maguire. And lastly, this is a great argument amongst all United fans. The comparison between the 99 treble side and the side, the double, uh, the 2007-8 side. If you had a team to choose who was playing for your livelihood, are you choosing the 99 treble side or is it the side of 07-08? Again, a brilliant question. And and, and sometimes um, I've heard this asked to some of the legends as well. You know, Scolzi. Scolzi was asked that in Atlanta, you know, because he he played for 99 and the 2007-8 team in the Champions League final run-up. And I didn't play in 99 in the actual final. For me, personally, I suppose from a sentimental point of view, I'd go with 99. Purely because, you know, we had Eric that came in and was the catalyst. Obviously, he didn't play in 99, but, the, the, the you know, the, the team of 92... Um, the players that we had, everybody knew the job. And I think that, you know, the team that broke that 26-year barren period led to the success of the 99 team. So I suppose, it's, I've never been asked before about my livelihood, so it's a good way to ask it because um, if I wanted to send a team out, I think it'd have to be the team of 99. Yeah, no, and I think that is a pretty poignant way to finish and I think the almost yeah everyone it splits opinion that question but I think when you put it like that in terms of everything they achieved and the sort of fight and desire they showed 
I think a lot would agree that 99 might be the correct answer there. But I think that is a good way to finish. And just before we finish, just want to... First of all, we've been going on for about an hour, so I think we scheduled you in for 45 minutes, so we truly appreciate um, you giving us this time, and um, I'm sure all the listeners thoroughly enjoyed um, listening to you and some of those stories, um, some cracking stories, to be honest. But um, just on behalf of the Supporters Club of New South Wales, just want to say a big thank you, because obviously you're very close with Mark, and every Saturday, or when the football is obviously on, Mark sends back photos from Old Trafford and you with the flag, you next to the dugout, etc. And something like that, so close to home for you, might not feel, it might be sort of insignificant, but it brings us on the other side of the world just that little bit closer and just gives us that type of connection that sort of a part of us, a part of Sydney, as is at Old Trafford. Because for a lot of us, it's maybe once every three, once every five years we get to go. And um, seeing our connection, seeing our supporters club flag there, seeing f- members go over and have a photo with you, etc. Something that might, again, seem ins- insignificant. I just want to sort of, sort of, I don't know what the word is, sort of relay on to you that it definitely isn't. And um, every single fan here is truly appreciative of what you do and what you continue to do for us. Well, it's an absolute pleasure, Tom and Larry, and, and thank you um, for them, those kind words. And I love Australia. You know, I've only ever been once. I had a great experience. It was a wonderful place, uh, wonderful people, and I hope to get back there sometime in the near future. And, you know, please, anybody who ever does get over, always get in touch. You can have a look at my Facebook page. It's Alan Keegan, dash, the voice of Old Trafford. Like it. Um, I'm doing a sort of, while we're in lockdown, I'm doing a, a, a live Facebook live every in our time at eight o'clock UK time. And uh, always happy to embrace and uh, engage with the fans who support Manchester United from Australia. So thank you, Tom, and thank you, Larry. Well, just on that last bit, I, that was the last point. Um, make sure you do tune into that show because I tuned in last week. I obviously watched it on delay. I watched it at night time. But um, yeah, cracking show. And um, some good guests when you had um, sort of one or two Norman. guests ring in and the, um, obviously the music, very good music, very good skills on the Google Play um, device, I must say. <laughs> um, telling Google when to play and when to stop. But um, yeah, we'll no. leave a link to Alan's page in all the uh, descriptions um, for this podcast, etc. And while you're at it, again, you're all holding your phone now. So if you can rate and review the podcast and just give us a like, etc., it would be very much appreciated. But again, from on behalf of me, the Supporters Club of New South Wales, and I'm sure Larry, I'm sure Larry stayed awake throughout this. You still there, mate? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still awake. Thanks, Alan. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you, boys. Okay, and we will chat to you again um, very soon, hopefully about some type of return to football in the near future, but we will see. So hopefully everyone enjoyed it, and thank you very much. Cheers.